As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Here with me today to preview the Western Conference of Major League Soccer are Mr. Graham Ruffin. Hello, Graham. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. And Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Taylor. Uh, gentlemen, it is lovely to speak with you. Uh, yesterday's show went over an hour and a half. Uh, I think I took my time in the introductions with that one, so I'm thinking maybe we should get right to this one. Though, Joe, we do have, what, one fewer team, so maybe we'll get through this in, like, an hour? Just kidding. It's going to be an hour and a half. Still, <laughs> yeah, maybe that gives us, like, five minutes of, of extra buffer. We're probably still going to go long. There's a lot of teams. <laughs> I, I thought our, our Eastern Conference preview was really good, so if folks haven't listened to that, Go back and, and do that. I think we all we all put a lot of research and thought into our teams. And, it, and even though it was long, I felt like we moved through things at a relatively decent tempo. So go listen to that. But uh, yeah, we're back and retooled for round two over in the West. We are indeed. Now, you all have already recorded one episode today. You did a Patreon. Uh, I, I'm assuming it was just Graham talking about kits for 20 minutes while Joe sat there silently. Yeah, pretty much. It was me just going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, Austin, oh my god, oh my god, Red Bulls, oh my god, oh my god, Minnesota. Yeah, essentially that was it. With with me Googling little uh, facts about where you could see the Northern Lights sprinkled in along the way. Yeah. Taylor, did you know? Okay, this will settle a debate because people, the Patreon show is not going to come out till probably tomorrow and mm-hmm. we're recording this. It's very confusing, but Taylor, I want to know for you, did you know you can see the Northern Lights from Minnesota, the state of Minnesota? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Graham, you are right. Cool. I think it's, it's just, yeah. isn't it like any northern location where there aren't a ton of lights around you? Isn't that part of it? Yeah, congrats but, for being so smart. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and where there's not a lot of uh, light pollution as well, so yeah. bad luck, New York. Yeah, that one doesn't work so well. Uh, but maybe, no, they won't be seeing them in Austin. I was going to try to ham fist that one in, but I couldn't. Instead, Joe, let's talk about Austin, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, so just to remind folks the categories that we're mostly going for here. How last year went, roster moves in and out, coaching style of play, key players, and then our expectations for them in 2023. Austin had a phenomenal year last year in 2022. They finished second in the Western Conference. They lost to LAFC in the conference finals, and that came after finishing second to bottom in the West in 2021, which was their expansion season. So a massive improvement from them. 
Uh, they they uh, they did it with Sebastian Giriussi really being an MVP candidate. Uh, I think he he understandably lost out to Hani Mukhtar at the end of the day, but he broke out in midfield. Giriussi they had some statement wins. The atmosphere at Q2 Stadium in Austin was really really good by all accounts. Just in general, a really fun season on the field. They had a good year in terms of roster moves ahead of this new season in 2023, which starts up on Saturday. Outgoing moves, a couple of center backs leaving is probably the most notable stuff. Ruben Gabrielson played about 3,000 minutes for them last year, and and now he's back over in Scandinavia. Uh, That's the biggest move outgoing, but largely the squad is mostly the same. Uh, Some of the folks pulling the strings, though, aren't in the same roles. And by that, I mean Claudio Reyna, who stepped down as sporting director of Austin FC and will, quote, transition into a technical advisor role. This, of course, comes down after the whole Reyna family and Beralter family stuff. There was no way that Claudio Reyna was ever going to keep his job. My read of this, and I don't know anything, but is that he's still going to get a nice little paycheck while being a little bit further removed from day-to-day operations. (laughs) So all things considered, I guess not the worst shift there for Claudio Reyna. Honestly, though, I do think this could be good for Austin. Uh, Reyna didn't appear to be that good at his job, at least didn't nail a lot of the signings. In Austin, Rodney Redes was has, has largely been a bust. Cecilio Dominguez didn't work. Musa Gite, Emmanuel Rigoni, uh, sorry, excuse me, Emiliano Rigoni arrived as a DP in the middle of last season and struggled. But I mean, he hasn't played enough for us to really know for sure. But in general, a lot of misses there from Reyna. Incoming signings, they signed a new center back, a new left back. Uh, but the biggest news is besides Rigoni, who kind of counts as a new addition, is Jassi Zardes, 31 years old, scored 10 goals last year for Columbus and Colorado. Was, was moved in the middle of that season. I like this move a lot. I think Zard is just still a striker that can get you 15 goals in the right system. Feels like a, a, a move that elevates Austin's floor a little bit. Uh, he's going to be most likely, Jossie, as the, the number nine in a 4-2-3-1, or maybe a 4-3-3 for Josh Wolf, who likes to keep the ball. The key pattern for them in the attack is they find Fagundes in the left half space, and then he finds Drew UC as he makes a run into the box. So, I mean, it's they, they play some good soccer. They play some fun soccer. Shreyusi had 22 goals last year. He's a key player. Fagundes had six goals and 12 assists last year. He's a key player as well. This should be a playoff team. They have the talent to do so. Zardes does make them a little bit better, although I think between you know Zardes getting the team up a little bit and some natural regression that's going to come from last year, just because they were so hot for so long, I think they're probably still like a top four, top five team in the West this year, which is really good for Austin, who's just coming into their third season. Joe, you did that in two minutes and about 45 seconds. You have 15 seconds left if there's anything else you want to add. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll add a little bit. I'm curious to note how the midfield is going to function this year. Alex Ring Joe, is there. Joe, quick update. You have 10 seconds left. Oh, he's a DP. <laughs> and uh, Danny Pereira could get some minutes. And, and uh, Valencia as well. I'm not really sold on their midfield. And I have some questions about the center backs as well. If we're looking to sort of poke holes in Austin, those things combined with Drewsi crashing back to earth a little bit after they gave him big, big money earlier in the offseason... Those are some reasons, along with Rigoni just being bad, which, which could be the case for Austin fans to have a little bit to worry about. But in general, I know my 10 seconds are up. They're still good and should be good this year. W- one more question for me. I was texting with a buddy of mine who was saying he really likes the Giassi Zardes move to Austin unless it goes poorly, which sort of bombs their season. Would you agree with that? Is it really important that Giassi Zardes score the goals and be the man that we think he can be? Uh, th- I mean, yeah, it's important. I think, I think him doing well but, obviously makes this team yeah. better. But Driussi is like is the star. I don't think Zardes is going to even be the primary goal scorer. If he ends up with the most goals on this team, something has probably gone wrong. Uh, but but he should be a really good secondary goal scorer for them, which Austin didn't have last year. 
well, then uh, boo to my friend for trying to make Austin fans panic. Joe, uh, applause to you for that lovely preview. I will take us to the Colorado Rapids. Uh, when last we left them, they were 10th in the Western Conference. 43 points from 34 games. Not quite good enough for the playoffs. Uh, the 57 goals against and a negative 11 goal difference. Also not particularly impressive. That is certainly something uh, that Coach Robin Fraser will hope to improve upon. This will be his Fourth full season, his fifth since taking over in August of 2019, but that was only half a season, so that doesn't count. Uh, the my, my sort of abbreviated summary on Colorado would be that there is plenty of depth that allows for multiple different approaches, but you don't really have the top-tier talent that allows them to make that jump into the... Maybe maybe playoff contention is a possibility, given that I think, what is it, 36 teams get in uh, this year in the playoffs, yep. something like yep. that. Uh, but I don't know if they're really going to be as competitive unless they make a few more moves, because the moves they have made could be very good, but could also blow up spectacularly. So that's fun. We'll talk about those in a second. First, we'll talk about the departures. There aren't too many of them. Uh, they lost four uh, via free transfer, one of them most notably being Giassi Zardes. Joe just talked about that. Drew Moore retires. They decline the option on left back uh, Lucas Estevez, so he returns to Palmeiras. Uh, Joe, pausing there for a moment, do you know why, do you have any thoughts on why there's such a connection to Palmeiras and uh, MLS? It seems like there are, at any time, like 30 different players like between moving between the league and that club. Uh, my best guess is that there's a lot of agent connections or, or some there sort of go. connections between these things. I don't know for sure, but the other answer is just that MLS looks first and foremost to South America for players, and so Palmeiras is a big club in South America. Well, that is where MLS looks often, uh, but for their DP center back, Colorado <laughs> Rapids looked to Denmark. Uh, they brought in Andreas Maxu. Uh, I don't really know how to do that one because it's M-A-S-X-O with a line through it. Uh, make of that what you will. 28-year-old uh, center back from Bronby. He's a Danish international. He fills an Austin trustee-shaped hole that has existed since Austin trustee went to England a while back. I have some thoughts on Maxa. Uh, we'll talk about him in a second because the other uh, maybe key acquisition, they brought in Connor Ronan. He's a 24-year-old midfielder who had been loaned to six clubs in four years, so he needed a home and he got one. They bring in Alex Gersbach, a uh, 25-year-old Australian left back, so he'll, he'll replace uh, Estevez when he goes back to Palmeiras. But Kevin Cabral is the one I want to talk about for a moment. DP left winger, they traded for him from the LA Galaxy. The Galaxy paid $5.5 for Cabral, never found form that... At least the Galaxy needed six goals, five assists, and 61 appearances. He's still only 23 years old, but Colorado splashed about $1 million in GAM to bring him in, which is still a lot of money for a player that has not impressed. Uh, I hadn't watched a ton of Cabral. I have now, and I have some concerns. Uh, his first touch definitely is not great under pressure. He seems like he's trying to process too much when he's in attacking positions, and that often leads to him either dribbling into a defender or sort of making the wrong decision because you can see he's overthinking. And there's a possibility in my mind that that means a change of scenery, a new manager, just a new atmosphere might be what he needs to kind of find that form, get some of that confidence, because it's basically an attacker who looked very short of confidence. And maybe if you get him sort of back and firing and, and feeling comfortable, uh, then you've got much more, much more to that attack. That said, he is one of several wingers that the Rapids have, uh, leading to the theory that they will probably be in a 4-3-3. They've got Michael Berrios, Kevin Cabral, Jonathan Lewis, Calvin Harris, and Brian Galvan. Many, many options. All of them could be very good, but haven't found that consistency the Rapids will need. One more note I wanted to, to add would be about that, uh, that center back, Andreas Maxo. Uh, I know there's a lot of hype around him. I think he, he gets listed in the like best moves of the offseason. 
he is a gambler when it comes to defense. Um, I would predict, if we were doing specific predictions, which I guess we are later, I'm going to predict something when it comes to cards for him. Because he loves to kind of step and track the uh, opposition se- uh, center forward when he moves in to try to like hold up play. He'll be right on that guy's back. Sometimes he dives in. Sometimes he gets turned really easily. He goes to ground very readily in 1v1s. That cost at least two goals that I saw. And he will dive into challenges and be very physical. So he's going to be, I think, a center back that the Rapids fans love because he he is all action. He works so hard. He was the captain of his club, I think, because of that effort. But at the same time, he can make a mistake here and there. So I think it's going to be an interesting season for Colorado as they figure out how to get all the pieces together to have a better season than they did last year. We'll see if that happens. Taylor, what was the name of the central defender that you were talking about? Andreas Maxco. Maxo? Uh, M-A-S-X-O the line. So he's Christian Romero then, is this yes. what you just yes. described? Yes, exactly. Well said, Graham. That is exactly it. Could be good. Could also miss some games due to suspension. Well said, Graham Ruthven. You said that so well that let's just go right to you to talk about Dallas, shall we? Yes, indeed. So FC Dallas, they took a massive leap forward in 2022, I think it's fair to say. They finished 11th in 2021. They finished third in the West last season. Uh, They made it past Minnesota on penalties in the first round in the playoffs and then eventually fell to Austin FC in the conference semi-final. So all in all, it was a hugely encouraging season for Dallas. They had the second best defensive record in the whole league. And what made it so encouraging was they found a, a manager and a system that harnessed the the young talent that, that they have. Obviously, FC Dallas have a reputation for producing young talent. They have a number of talented young players on their books right now. And they found a way to, to, to basically put them in a team structure and uh, win games and get results in the league last year, which was a bit of a problem in the season before. Um, in terms of off-season activity... Uh, I mentioned him yesterday, Matt Hedges has has left Dallas to sign for uh, Toronto FC, so that raises some questions in that he had been so important for them over a number of seasons, and obviously, as I just mentioned, the defence was very strong for Dallas last season, so taking really a defensive leader out of that team, uh, there's there's something to address there um, in terms of the, the makeup of the team, and then Frank O'Hara uh, also left the, the, the club over the off season, he has returned to Argentina, so that has opened up that opened up a DP spot for FC Dallas as well. In terms of the the, the players that have come in, uh, Abeja from uh, um, LAFC, right? That's where he was he was playing. I don't have that in my notes, but from memory, yeah, um, he has been signed as the direct replacement for Hedges at centre back. So that's some good MLS experience there. Giovanni Jesus is the new starting right back, which probably means he'll get a move to Europe at some point in the future because that's how it works for FC Dallas right backs uh, Brian Reynolds and Reggie Cannon in that position of course have uh, used that as a springboard to get a move to Europe so maybe Giovanni Jesus has something to look forward to there and then there's Jose Milato who is a, a, a young Colombian forward who made quite the impression in MLS Pro last year and so he could be another project player for, for Dallas as I mentioned they're very good with those sort of young talents uh, Nico Estevez is FC Dallas head coach this is his second season in charge he made a big difference coming in last year. So they played, FC Dallas played a 4-3-3 formation last season and they struck that very modern balance between 
being disciplined and being fluid, if that makes any sort of sense. Uh, they like to win the ball high. They have a real pace and threat and quick transition through some of their attackers. Their front, their front six play both sides of the ball very well, and everyone in this team kind of knows what their role is within the structure on both the attacking side and the defensive side. And I, I would say FC Dallas at this moment in time are one of the best coached teams in MLS, certainly in, in, in the West. Uh, Jesus Ferreira, he was excellent last season. He finished on 18 goals for 2022. He took another couple steps forward in terms of his development after the, the departure of Ricardo Pepe 12 months ago and really stepped into that void. His his form for Dallas was kind of at odds with a lot of the discussion around him as a US international where the, the, the argument against him is essentially he doesn't score goals. But he was he was very prolific at club level last season. Uh, Alan Velasco, he, he'll play on the left side of, of uh, the Dallas attacking unit. He registered seven goals, five assists in 30 appearances last season. Um, and there's a sense that, you know, Dallas have a very seriously talented youngster on their hands who can score and create and essentially be an attacking hub in the final third. You've got Paxson Pomacall in the centre midfield, Paul Ariola on the right side. I guess, as I say, it remains to be seen how much of a miss Hedges will be in defence. Um, so that might be where they are somewhat weak. But there is good reason to believe FC Dallas will have another good season. This is generally a young team that is another year older and in theory should be another year stronger, another year further along in, in their development. And I expect they will be one of the best teams in the, in the West again this season. My dream, uh, my dream for Dallas this year is that we see Paxson Pomichol take a step forward. And by a step forward, I, I kind of mean a step backward, at least on the field. I've got, and I know I'm not the only one who has had this idea, but I, I would love to see Pomichol sort of transition into a number six role and have that be his home in midfield where he doesn't have to do a ton of work between the lines. He can use his aggression and, and energy to sort of shuttle side to side to shield the back line to win the ball and then have Dallas go out there and sign a number eight, which they kind of need to do anyway. I, I'd be a little bit surprised if they did it before the summer. That's just my guess. But um, I, I think they're going to need to sign someone in that spot because they just traded Brandon Cervania to FC, uh, to, to Toronto FC, excuse me, Brandon Cervania, a name that maybe U.S. youth national team diehards will remember yeah. from a few years ago at the U-20s. But I, I want to see Pomichol as a number six. I think he's going to be better at that job than anyone else they have on the roster. And and then he still gives them flexibility because he can shift forward into the eighth spot. So I don't know if it's going to happen, but that's on my wish list for this year. Uh, we're going long on Dallas, but I'm fine with it because I have one more question for either or both of you. They are obviously a team that are, are content to sell players uh, when the money is right and they will move young players on or trade them within the league. But they finished third last season. What does improvement look like? If not winning MLS Cup or winning the Supporter Shield or something like that, how do we gauge a successful season for a club like FC Dallas? Yeah, it's a good question. I think for FC Dallas, a lot of their success is down to the players that, that they develop. So if we do see, um, as you mentioned there, Pomacall taking a step forward in his development, if we see kind of sustained productivity from Ferreira and then maybe there's interest in him I think that would be success for FC Dallas in terms of their league position I think it's going to be difficult for them to improve on third place in in the west uh, LAFC are still around and good you would presume I think even clubs like I mean I'm slightly biased because spoiler alert I previewed them but I think uh, Sporting KC might be competitive again this season. So I'm not sure what, in terms of the regular season finish, what their ceiling is. But certainly, 
making it past the first round in the playoffs, I guess, would would be uh, progress for them. So they're probably in that in that tier of teams where I, I think winning an MLS Cup or, or the West is going to be difficult for them, but certainly making a run into maybe the conference finals, semifinals, at least I think is would be would be progress. All right. Well, we have two of our three Texas teams down. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will make it three of three. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We are continuing to preview the Western Conference of Major League Soccer ahead of the start of the 2023 season. Joe Lowry, talk us about Houston. Talk Boom. us about Houston. I am hosting this show, fellas. <laughs> I will talk us about Houston right Thank now, you. and I'll talk us about Houston good. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, Houston Dynamo finished 13th in the West last season. They fired their manager, Paulo Nagamura, partway through the year. It was just generally a disaster there, and he probably never should have been hired in the first place. To be honest, I put this one more on Houston and their front office than I do on him. Never been a, uh, a head coach in MLS before. Never been a head coach of a first division club before. Uh, young, just really difficult situation for him. So maybe we'll see Nagamura pop up at some point down the road in American soccer. But Ben Olsen is now the coach, Taylor's favorite manager of all time. They signed Hector Herrera last year. Uh, he didn't really help the team, as evidenced by the fact that they finished 13th in the Western Conference. They've got some work to do. And, and to be fair to them, they did do some work in the offseason. So in terms of outgoing moves, Tim Parker, Adam Lundqvist, Fafa Pico, Memo Rodriguez, Darwin Quintero, Darwin Seren, Matthias Vera. I mean, it's it's a long list of pretty mediocre players in, in large part who left the club over the offseason. They added some some relatively proven domestic players, which I think we saw with LAFC last year can be a recipe for success or part of a recipe for success is, is probably the more accurate way to put it. But they brought in Artur from Columbus Crew. They brought in Franco Escobar from LAFC. They brought in Brad Smith from DC United, formerly of the Seattle Sounders. They brought in a young left back from the Eredivisie. They brought in uh, a League Two uh, Ligue 2, just to make sure people know that I'm talking about France, not England. They brought in uh, Amin Bassi, there we go, from Ligue 2, and Ivan Franco from Paraguay. I'm not, I, I don't know if any of those players are going to hit or not. I haven't been able to watch, you know, a ton of film on any of them, and even still, it's it's sometimes a crapshoot with new signings. But all of those players are expected, maybe outside of, of Franco, I'm not entirely sure what his role is going to be, and Brad Smith is injured right now. But really, those players are expected to contribute because they had holes in their squad before they signed him. And then, as I mentioned, in terms of the other incoming move, it's it's Ben Olsen coming in as the manager. A lot of folks already know his style, which is to say that there's not like necessarily a specific one. It's pragmatic, not married to a, a particular shape. I'm guessing we'll see them hit on the break against teams that are better than, better than them and have more talent. And I'm guessing we'll see them try to open up and, and play a little bit through their midfield and Hector Herrera in games where they're maybe more evenly matched. So that's sort of the tactical primer. I'm expecting a back four. Could be a 4-2-3-1, could be a 4-3-3. In terms of key players, 
I mentioned his name, but Hector Herrera is the star of this team. He's going to play as a number eight for them, maybe dropping back into the back line at times. He's, he's going to have a, a relatively free role where he gets on the ball and, and tries to make things happen. Because while he doesn't have the mobility at this point, uh, he does have a ton of quality on the ball. He's one of the best passers in Major League Soccer. Still incredibly fun to watch. Another key player, Coco Carasquilla, who's likely to be another number eight in this system with Artur behind them, at least to start the year. Carasquilla, I think, is I think is phenomenal. Again, not the most mobile player, but really good on the ball. Panamanian international, very fun to watch. He's someone that if folks haven't watched yet, I would recommend at least watching a few minutes of it at some point this season. And then Steve Clark, their goalkeeper, who I think is going to have a decent amount of work to do this season, but had a really good year in 2022. Good shot-stopping season from him. Overall, Houston just don't have the top-end talent right now. They need they kind of need Bassi or Franco or you know Sebastian Ferreira to have a, a massive season. He was a new signing at the number nine for them last year. They need like a, a breakout star in MLS and, and maybe even a little bit more than that. I think to really compete in the West and by compete, I, I guess I kind of just mean like climb above the playoff line. I have them as thirteenth in the in the West with the potential to get better in the summer. But I just I don't I don't see it right now with this Houston team, and honestly, I'd be surprised if even Houston fans saw it yet. Uh, I wasn't laughing at your Houston prognostication as much as I was your tone when you said it. It, it didn't inspire confidence, is, is I guess what I'm saying, Joe. Yeah, I'm not I'm not confident, even though I, I tried to talk us about Houston about Houston us. I don't remember what it was. Um, you talked yeah, good about still, Houston. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There it is. I still don't. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not there yet on the Houston Dynamo. All right. Well, one team I know you are are pretty up on uh, because I would love to hear your thoughts on them is the LA Galaxy. That's where I'm taking us next. Uh, Fourth in the West last season, 50 points. Uh, Joint most goals allowed of any playoff team in the Western Conference. Knocked out in the conference final by LAFC. Third most goals in the West, though, so they scored plenty, but the defense looked shaky the LA Galaxy way. Uh, And with that in mind, things are different, but not that different. They still have... Uh, elite forwards, or at least one elite forward. They have a genius number 10. They have solid number eights behind him that can do a lot of the defensive work and provide that defensive cover. And then there are some questions about the defense uh, in terms of players that have departed. Uh, Kevin Cabral, I mentioned him. He's gone, so one million in GAM comes in. Samuel uh, Grancier uh, played all but one game over the last two seasons, uh, but the winger transfers back to France. Ligue does Le Havre. That's some great French pronunciation right there. Uh, And then Julian Araujo, uh, Mexican right back, moved to Barcelona. Only barely. I think the paperwork came in. It was like seconds after the the window closed, but in the end it gets done. A fee upwards of $4 million for him, but that's 100 appearances that need to be replaced. Uh, Some players that will help do that would be uh, Memo Rodriguez. He comes in as a free agent from Houston. Uh, Tyler Boyd. Uh, U.S. fans may remember yeah. Tyler Boyd. Uh, he was in Turkey for a while. Uh, now he is with uh, the LA Galaxy, 28-year-old left winger. Gives them some wing depth. I don't know if he is brought in to be an immediate starter, but he might be. We'll see. Uh, and then the other big one would be Chris Mavinga from Toronto. Free agent, 31 years old. Previously played under Greg Vanny. There's a lot of Greg Vanny-Toronto connections here. I think there's at least four players that played for Vanny when he was uh, head coach of Toronto. Uh, my, my assumption was that we would see them in something like a 4-2-3-1 this season. A lot of speculation that they're going to go with three at the back, largely because they don't have the depth on the wings that they've had in seasons past. Uh, they have Douglas Costa back, even though it seemed like he was going to move. He, by all accounts, was pretty uninspiring. As I said, they lose Cabral, they lose Grancier, they bring in Boyd. So there are options there, 
but not a ton of options out wide. So that leads to an idea that they could be in a 3-5-2, which does give you sort of attackers where you need them, a lot of strength through the midfield, uh, and then the three center backs will give you that sort of depth. Uh, That means that we might see more of Jalen Neal, uh, the the young center back that we saw in the January camp. Uh, He could have uh, some consistent minutes this season. But right now, the the Galaxy only have two DP spots taken. Speculation is that uh, Ricky Puj will take up the third one uh, for cap reasons and to give them some flexibility, especially since the Galaxy have a transfer penalty this summer. They can't sign anyone from abroad. So if they want to make something happen, they're going to have to do it uh, in this primary window, this first window. I think there are some questions around the Galaxy. People who do not would be Tom Bogert, who has them first in the West, and Joe Lowry, who has them second. Joe, why are you so bullish on the Galaxy? So I'll answer that question, but I know Graham wanted to jump in. So Graham, I, I want to hear your thoughts on all of this first, and then I'll maybe tie a bow. So I, I just thought it would it would be worthwhile mentioning the the kind of boycotts and protests from Galaxy fans against the the leadership of this club at the moment. So a, a number of the supporters groups are, as I say, boycotting matches until essentially Chris Klein, who Taylor, you mentioned the the penalty there for some transfer. Irregularities. Essentially, Christian Pavon should have been (laughs) a designated player, uh, was receiving payments that should have made him a DP, and he wasn't a DP. So, some Inter Miami stuff going on there. But Chris Klein, who um, is not the actor who played Oz in American Pie, but is the sporting (laughs) director at LA Galaxy, former US international, rather than kind of dismissing Chris Klein, who is banned from all football activity until the end of April. Uh, the LA, LA Galaxy gave him a multi-year uh, contract extension. <laughs> so Galaxy fans, not so happy about that. Uh, I've written a piece about the Guardian for it. Uh, uh, I've written a piece about it for the Guardian this week. So yeah, I think it's worth mentioning. While things are looking pretty good on the pitch for the Galaxy, and that's the paradox here, is that actually their team looks pretty strong this season, but their fans are pretty unhappy with how yeah. that club's been run. Yeah, and, and Taylor, to your point, Graham, that's all very good context because that is a, a really relevant story coming into this new MLS season. Curious to see where that goes. Taylor, to your point, there are questions about the Galaxy. There's a couple of reasons why I have them so high in the West and why I think they'll be so good this season. The first is because I think the West is kind of bad. Like, I, I don't really know who the best teams in the West are other than LAFC, and even they're not as strong as they were last year, right? We'll talk about them in just a second, but, I mean, players are gone. Players will be leaving in the summer. Like, it's not... It's not quite the same, even though I think you know, we all expect them to continue to reinforce the squad to where, to where they're elite in Major League Soccer. But, I mean, I'm not there all the way there on Austin. Sporting Kansas City, I think, are really good, and I'm very high on them. But they've got gaps just like the Galaxy do. Dallas, I think, are a level of, uh, below. I mean, like, I don't, know, I don't know who's supposed to be better than the Galaxy this year. The other reason why I like them so much is they've got the best midfield in MLS, in my view, by probably a pretty wide margin. And most of that comes down to Ricky Pouch, who I think is the best player in this entire league. And frankly, it's absurd to me every time I think about it that he's even here because he clowned Major League Soccer last season, added the most value with his passing of any player in the league, is incredibly good, looks like a former Barcelona midfielder who's still in his prime. And you just, we've never seen that in Major League Soccer before. We have never, ever seen that. He is absolutely <laughs> unreal. He is the best player in this league. You combine that with Chicharito, who's maybe not going to play this weekend because he's dealing with a little bit of an injury, or Dejan Jovalich, who I think is good enough to be a, a very good starting number nine in this league. And if they can just get one winger signing right, just one, and mm. add like a, a depth central midfield piece, I think those are the two main moves that need to be made. I guess a right back as well. So I guess Greg Vanny's list is getting a little bit longer. Like there are holes here, but man, the ceiling for this team is so high 
because they have an excellent midfield group and because they have quality up top. I, I, I like the bones here, even if they're not all the way there. Joe, let's go ahead and speculate wildly, shall we? If there was a winger, like an attainable winger for the Galaxy, who would you like that to be? Varadona. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm so this is bad. Why at, I said attainable, Graham. I'm so bad at like thinking of answers to those kinds of questions. I don't know why my mind mm-hmm. always blanks. Graham, do you have anybody that like is over in Europe right now? I, I, I don't expect the Galaxy are going to so, go out and sign like like Aubameyang, like LAFC are trying to do. I bet they go more of the slightly lower division, more underrated, young up and coming player that okay, I've never I've, heard of route. But what do you think, Graham? I've got a suggestion because there is quite a bit of traffic between Scottish football and MLS. That's where I go to instantly. Ryan Kent is out of contract at Rangers this summer. So came through at Liverpool, has been at Rangers for a number of seasons. One of the best players in Scotland has been linked with Aston Villa in the past and Leeds United. So let's say Ryan Kent. I like it. Joe, my, my one was going to be, uh, I'm also talking to Seattle later on. Uh, and I was and I was reading Doyle's piece that was kind of concerned about how Jordan Morris fits in. If the Galaxy like wanted to splash the money, does Jordan Morris make them better? Uh, yes, it does. It totally does. I'm not incredibly high on Morris right now, but he's certainly better than what they have. And I think, Taylor, if you want to start an, uh, an international incident between two cities that are very much in the same country, <laughs> this is the way you would do that. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. That's what I'm going for. Trying to create uh, the drama over here. Speaking of drama, since I've talked LA Galaxy, Graham, why don't you tell us about LAFC? They get along well, don't they? Oh, yeah. Best of friends, as we'll see this weekend at the Rose Bowl for the, the big Apple TV Plus cur- curtain raiser, which might break the, the league record for a single game attendance in your face, Ryan Bailey, because, of course, Charlotte FC set that record attendance last season. It looks like it's going to be broken this weekend. But LAFC, they come into 2023 as the defending, the defending champs of everything. The Cup, the Western Conference champions, the Shield winners um, and it's quite a 2023 was a remarkable year for LAFC when you consider how they started the year so coming into the season there was a bit of doubt over who would how the the LAFC would rebuild after a difficult 2022 Steve Terundolo had come in and he was an MLS novice as a manager Um, so there was no guarantee that they would be back to their best but Terundolo did really well he built on what Bob Bradley had left behind injected some intensity back into LAFC's play and as I say they won MLS Cup they won the Shield they won the Western Conference it was a a clean sweep from a team that I would say is expected to be strong again this year and part of the reason for that is that LAFC have generally managed to keep the core of their team together over the off-season. So Chicho Aranjo, he has left. He's, he's signed for Pachuca and, and Liga Meques. Latif Blessing, who was a, a, an OG for the, for the club. They, they picked him in their expansion draft all the way back in tw- uh, 2018. He has left. Uh, we spoke about him. Was it? Yet? I think it was, we spoke about him yesterday. He's joined uh, New England, and then maybe the most notable departure. Let me caveat this, but first of all, the most notable departure is Gareth Bale. So he was under contract until next summer, but Bale decided to retire after the World Cup, and he's now living his dream of being a pro am golfer, uh, which I've seen footage of on social media. Obviously, in terms of name recognition, that is a significant departure. But Bale only played a handful of games last season. I know he scored a very important goal in MLS Cup. But nonetheless, I don't think it's a real blow to the squad, to LAFC's squad, that he has left. In fact, LAFC, are, are, they're not obligated now to make him a DP, as was the case when he was under contract. So that is useful for them to have that, have that, have that back. 
and I think that could benefit them in the second half of the season. In terms of new arrivals, Aaron Long, he's signed from the Red Bulls. That's a, a pretty shrewd addition, and it strengthens LAFC in an area where I, I think they were already pretty well stocked. Uh, Stipe Buick is a, a $6 million signing from Hajduk Split in Croatia. For any other club, that would be a really big talking point. Uh, fans would be expecting big things, would be expecting a $6 million player to come in and, and be a key player immediately. But I think Buke is going to be a bit of a, de- a development player for, for LAFC, and that sort of tells you where they are right now in terms of their, their squad. And then Malik Tillman's younger brother, Timothy, Timothy Tillman, who I wasn't aware he had a young, younger brother until, or rather, it's his older brother, I think. I think Malik yeah. may be the younger of the two. Um, but he has arrived from uh, Gruther Firth in, in, in Germany, and he'll just provide a bit more depth in midfield. Uh, Chirundal, as I mentioned earlier, took over from Bob Bradley. He essentially revived the Bob Bradley blueprint. They played in a 4-3-3 for the majority of last season. They press high and hard. They want to win the ball back as quickly as they can. It's fast. It's, ex- it's exciting. They scored more goals than any other team in the Western Conference last season. They also had the second best defensive record in, in the West, so that's a, a pretty good balance to have. Um, and then key players, Carlos Vela is still an important figure for this team. He's the club captain. He's been the face of LAFC since their introduction to MLS. He's getting on a bit now, so he's 33, and I think it's fair to say that injuries and just getting older have faded him a little bit. So he's not quite the force he was a few seasons ago, but he's still more than good enough to be a difference maker in MLS. He registered 12 goals and 12 assists last season, which is a, a very good return. Uh, Jose Cifuentes is, is another key player for, for, for LAFC. I think most expected that he'd played his last MLS game in MLS Cup last year um, because there was a lot of interest in him. However, he's still at LAFC. No deal was done in January and he'll be part of that that midfield three again uh, this season. He just offers so much. He's a box-to-box midfielder. He can carry the ball. His progressive passing numbers are, are good. He's just one of LAFC's most important players. And just when you look through this team... It's a team full, packed full of quality in pretty much every area, from Kellen Acosta to Morello at centre back to Palacios at left back. Opoku in, in, in attack, that's maybe the one question you would ask of this squad after Arango left, is, is maybe they don't have a league best number nine, yeah. or they, don't, they certainly don't have much depth there either. But when you look at the strength of the team, that's maybe nitpicking a little bit because Opoku did have a, a decent season last year, could be a break, breakout star this year. MLS is weird in that sometimes teams are really good one year and really bad the next year. Toronto FC seem to make, make a habit of that. But in terms of the evidence that's in front of us, there there's absolutely no reason to believe that LAFC won't be really strong again this season and be among the, the front runners in, in, in the West. So they swept everything last season. They brought back you know the majority of their starting players and I, I just can't see how they won't be very good again. Joe, I appreciated your yeah addition there. Uh, any thoughts on LAFC and their uh, success this season? I'm a, I'm a little bit more concerned about the number nine position than Graham is, if only because they're playing in 87 competitions this year. So they're in CCL, which didn't happen last year. They're in, obviously, Leagues Cup. But, I mean, everybody's in Leagues Cup. It's just going to be like the regular season. It, it's, not, it's not like they're going to have to balance that with games going on at the same time. But it does add more games to the schedule. You talk about Open Cup and you add all these things in, and all of a sudden... LAFC not having a number nine for the start of the season could be costly. So I, I don't know if that's going to be a big problem or not. Maybe we could see Boanga there for some, and, and you have Apoku or, or Stipe Buk over on the left, and, and you're still doing fine. But I do think this team needs a number nine sooner rather than later. It seems like John Thornton knows that as well, because the, the links to Aubameyang, as far as I can tell, were very real. So I, uh, I, I would expect something to happen soon. Again, that's not from anything I know, but that, that's just me using my brain. 
But uh, yeah, it, it could be a little bit of a problem for them early on here. Uh, Graham, a- any follow up? You can just say "nah," and, and that would be enough of a defense of the of LAFC if you want. <laughs> yeah, Joe, you're wrong. We'll see about that yeah. on the pitch. Yeah. We'll, see you there on the, we'll see you there on the pitch, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Joe being wrong, uh, the Northern Lights are visible from Minnesota, Joe. Why don't you talk to us about Minnesota United? <laughs> hey, there it is. Yeah, I, I did. Taylor, man, you can tell Taylor didn't listen to the Patreon show that hasn't even been published yet that he wasn't there when we recorded, which was like 10 minutes ago. You can Correct. tell, Taylor. It, it really shows. It really shows. I said that on the show, but maybe I didn't know it at first. Anyway, Minnesota United fans are going to wish I talked about the Northern Lights and probably not about their team. They Maybe. finished sixth in the West last year. Kind of another ho-hum season for Adrian Heath and, and company up in Minnesota. The big news right now, though, forget last season, is that Emmanuel Reynoso's AWOL from preseason. This is like, if soccer was the sport in the U.S., this would be Sports Center. Like, this, this would be leading Sports Center. This is massive for Minnesota United. Suspended without pay by Major League Soccer for not showing up to preseason. Uh, it, it very much sounds like to me, from what I'm hearing, that there are some things going on in his life in Argentina that are causing some problems for him and, and sort of for folks around him as well. So I, mean, I hope that's resolved as peacefully and, and quickly as things can be. He's had trouble, legal trouble, a very serious stuff in Argentina before. So I, I really don't know. But that's that's a difficult situation for everyone involved. No Reynoso, no trophy for Minnesota United. That's sort of my tagline for this team coming into the year. Uh, in terms of roster moves, not, again, not, literally none of this matters as much as Reynoso. In terms of roster moves, <laughs> outgoing players, Roman Montaner, who was a very good fullback for them for time, at, at times, he's gone. But other than that, nothing big. In terms of incoming moves, Miguel Tapias, Mexican center back who played for Pachuca, he is an important ad for them because they were a little bit light in that area after Bakai Debasi went down with an injury. So that's, that's a good signing for them, or at least a needed signing. We'll see if it turns into a good signing. Uh, looking at the coach and style of play, Adrian Heath is the manager. They like to press. They like to play in transition. They're really going to have to lean into that this year because last year it was press, transition, and then play with one of the best number 10s MLS has ever seen as the the string puller in the attack after you win the ball or when you do have the ball in, in sustained periods of possession. Now it seems like Reynoso's not going to be here, at least not for the foreseeable future. So they're going to have to really put the the heavy and heavy metal and try to go and win the ball because they don't see them creating much in open play without their number 10, that's going to be a challenge for them this year. Key players, if we're setting Reynoso aside, really you're looking at Robin Ludd, who had six goals last year, but plays everywhere. Finnish international plays as a number eight, can play as a number 10, can play as a winger. He kind of does the same stuff in every single area of the field. He's not a dribbler, which is why he, he's never really put up like crazy numbers out wide. He's not really going to beat you 1v1, but he moves well in space, and then he, he gets on the ball in good spots to, to really help the the attack from Minnesota pinpoint weaknesses in the opposition's defensive shape. So he's a player to watch. And then Dane St. Clair is the other one who could have a lot more pressure on him if Minnesota aren't keeping the ball for very long and aren't very good when they have the ball. He was a phenomenal goalkeeper. Last year, Major League Soccer had a crazy hot start to the year, was an MLS All-Star, which, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I think generally is is a very good shot stopper, Canadian international. He's going to have to be massive for them this year, along with Robin Ludd, along with, you know, pretty much every player in the squad for as long as they're missing their their one true star. I have this team missing the playoffs. I don't have them really being all that close to the playoffs, although I guess if there's nine teams that make the playoffs, then it's a little <laughs> bit of a different story. I have them 12th in the West. And, and again, this is another one, like with Houston. I, I don't really think Minnesota fans can argue with that a whole lot. They know how important Reynoso is to this team. They know that he's not there right now. Whether Adrian Heath will say it or not, this team, I think, is in real trouble. 
Joe, uh, two questions for you. Number one, I just want to make sure I have it right. Uh, Reynoso, good? Reynoso, very good at soccer. Yes, cool. very good. Creates many chances. Really, really good at doing those things. <laughs> uh, he good at doing those things. Uh, second question. When you were first discussing Reynoso, you started to do a it would be, then you paused, and then you said Sports Center. How much of that delay was informed by the last time you drew an NBA comparison to Kevin Durant and then heard about it on the Discord? Yeah, none of it in the moment, Taylor. But now that now that I uh, I'm, I'm thinking back over, I think eventually I landed on the right comp for Kevin Durant in soccer. Neymar, I still feel really good about that. Um, it took me a little bit longer to get there than I'd, I'd like to admit. But you know what? I talk about soccer for a living, not basketball. Discord people, Discord. I'm trying my best, guys. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like an NFL equivalent, where like a quarterback on a team that are like the star quarterback on a team that are okay but not great like not showing up for for preseason or something like that. I don't know who yeah. that would be, but something along those lines, I hear where you're going. Yeah. Uh, so we will see what happens with Minnesota. Joe, not exactly optimistic, but trying to spin it positively. Thank you for that, Joe. I am not exactly optimistic about the next team we're going to talk about, but we're going to take a break before I do that. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Let's talk the Portland Timbers, gentlemen. Specifically, I will talk the Portland Timbers, gentlemen. Uh, last season, they were eighth in the West, which means they missed the playoffs by one point. They had a zero goal difference, 53 goals for, 53 goals against. So balanced. 
but maybe not in the best possible way. Uh, Gio Savarese remains the manager. Uh, he favors that 4-3-3, and he favors a lot of the same personnel he has regularly favored. That will feature in my preview. Uh, in terms of departures, they sold Bill Tuiloma to Charlotte for GAM, uh, 27-year-old center back, made over 100 appearances for the club. Uh, and Jose Carlos Van Rankin, uh, the end of his loan, he was uh, basically allowed to go back to his club. He's already been replaced. So they don't have huge losses. It's just that they also don't have that many replacements or incoming players. The main one, the one that I think does sort of elevate them uh, to a slightly higher status would be Evander, 24-year-old Brazilian central midfielder from Michelin. Uh, they paid a fee of around $10 million, which is a club record. And that is for a gentleman who scored 50 goals and got 58 assists in 167 appearances. He is going to be the string puller in that midfield. Uh, and I think we'll be very good at it from everything I've seen. I think he does exactly what Portland will want him to do. He's good on the ball. He's calm on the ball. He can carry it forward. He can find, he can certainly find, uh, good vertical runs and he can score goals himself. I like Evander a lot. The problem though is that there are just sort of negatives around the club right now is the best way I can put it. Starting with fan enthusiasm. It is way down compared to normal levels from everything I have heard and read. Uh, significant frustration with ownership and the front office about the multiple scandals that they have been embroiled in. Uh, they have brought in, I think, uh, Grabovoy to be there, to be their new GM, but he was there for those scandals. So it feels, I think, to a lot of supporters, like nothing has really changed, like it's sort of business as usual. And maybe this is like anecdotal evidence, but uh, a friend of mine lives in Portland, is a big Portland fan, has never gotten emails from the club about season ticket availability, is now getting those emails about like, hey, don't you want season tickets? And I think that speaks to, at least right now, a lack of, of enthusiasm about the team as a whole. Not necessarily the players, not necessarily the coach or the style of play, anything like that. I think just with the front office and the ownership. But I think that bleeds into the way that the team operates. And I think there is, with that lack of enthusiasm, some concern about the team itself. Uh, I was listening to Extra Time. Tom Bogart was speculating that the team will likely bring in a TAM striker and a TAM center back. And I think they need it because otherwise they're going to be starting Zach McGraw as one of their two center backs in a back four. Uh, he is drafted out of West Point. Uh, but doesn't have a ton of experience, uh, I think would probably be more comfortable in a back three. But given their options, uh, it seems like it's going to be McGraw and Laris Mabiella. Laris Mabiella is 35, so we don't know how, like, I think people constantly think he is about to be done, and then he hangs in for another year. But that is kind of the case with a lot of the players uh, at Portland. Yimmy Chara is 31, Diego Chara is 37, uh, Darren Espria starting the season hurt, so too is Felipe Mora. Uh, I'm not particularly big fan of any of their number nine options. Um, it could be uh, Nijgoda. It could be uh, Foacha, um, I think is how you pronounce that one. He's a Brazilian uh, youngster who was uh, brought to Portland Timbers 2 and is now with the senior team. Uh, and as I said, Mora is injured. So it's basically, it seems like it's going to be kind of the the stereotypical start to the season for Portland. Uh, I don't think they're going to start well. I think they're going to have to figure some things out. I think they will have to bring in some more players uh, and just get a little bit more depth. And then I'm guessing we'll see a much stronger second half of the season with the expanded playoffs. I think they end up making it into the playoffs, but I don't think they're... I think they're closer to the bottom of the playoff teams than the top of the playoff teams. And I think it would be smart if they are looking for that TAM striker. Uh, from everything I've read, Kai Kamara continues to be very annoyed with life in Montreal. That seems like a player who you could bring in and make your strike force better right away. Joe, maybe that's like naive of me. Maybe I'm overrating Kai Kamara. But if you're looking for a proven goal scorer in MLS, he seems like he might do the trick. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Kai Kamara probably makes this team better. Taylor, I share a lot of your concerns around this team. Just, just it all seems to fall on Evander, right? If Evander is phenomenal yep. and yep. is a, a best-in-the-league kind of talent, you have Eric Williamson coming back. He's still with the team, even though I think some folks thought he'd be traded during mm-hmm. the offseason. Like, this team has real talent. I think they do need a center back. I think they do need a striker. Those things, I would imagine, will happen. Whether or not they'll hit, I don't know. But if Evander's going to be a, a best 11-type talent, this team could finish in the top four in the West. If, if he's not, I think they will struggle. I, I'm actually not nearly as high on him as you are, Taylor. I think there's something, there's something weird about him. Like, his, his movement, he's so stiff. I saw your I face when I said that. I saw yeah. your face when I was describing him, and you'd be like, mm, I don't know. Well, I don't know. It, it seems, I mean, this is, I'm kind of doubting myself, though, because everyone else seems to like him. Like, and I know people that have watched the tape as well. So I know you've gone through and watched stuff. So I, uh, maybe this is just some weird sticking point I have. Not but, man. I'm not, I'm not all the way there on Evander. The, the stat that gets always thrown around about him is that he led the Europa League group stage in assists. And I, yeah, I intentionally left that off. <laughs> that doesn't do anything for me, right? So I, no. I don't know. I, I've got questions. That's more why I'm, I'm a bit lower on Portland. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really do like Felipe Mora, who's out with an injury right now. Mm-hmm. He's a number nine option for them that, that hopefully will be back later in the season. But either way, they still need someone now. And, and yeah, Kai Kamara's a, a really good shout, Taylor. I had not even thought about that. Do you have any thoughts on why Eric Williamson didn't get that move? I, I had that question po- posed to me, and my answer was basically he's got kind of the injury track record, so his form's been up and down. He doesn't uh, go to the World Cup with the U.S., so maybe there's like a little less international in- uh, interest there. My feeling was basically that if there was interest, it wasn't meeting the monetary level that Portland felt should be met for Williamson to be sold. That would be my guess as well. I think it was probably always going to be an intra-league move. So the Revs, I think, were were linked at one point to, to Williamson to make a trade for him. But I guess they decided not to do that. They've made some other intra-MLS moves that we talked about on yesterday's show. So folks can go back and listen to that. But uh, yeah, I guess the valuation wasn't met. And Williamson and, and maybe the other folks in Portland kind of reconciled if there were some problems there. But yeah, he's still here and he's very, very good. Well, uh, we love you, citizens of Portland, even if right now you're not uh, big lovers of your team. I'm guessing that will change as the season goes on and maybe we get some more front office decisions. Until that happens, this has been uh, myself and Joe Lowry previewing Portland. Graham, why don't you talk to us about RSL? (laughs) Okay, so RSL, they scraped into the playoffs last season, uh, but unlike the season before when basically they gave... Everyone in the whole league are, are good old scare in the playoffs. They didn't really, they didn't really make a run, although they, actually, I should maybe rephrase that because they did give Austin FC a scare in the first round. They took them to, to penalties. They were 2-0 up in that game within 15 minutes. And I think everyone watching that game went, here we go. David Ochoa is going to pop out of nowhere from somewhere and wind up all the Seattle fans that are definitely not at the Austin FC game for that one. But yeah, I think, um, I, I think that the, the, this team found its ceiling in that in that first round last season. Um, there has been some movement over the off season in terms of the roster. So Aaron Herrera was was traded to Montreal. Sergio Cordova, um, who was RSL's top scorer last season, he has uh, he's joined the Vancouver Whitecaps. He was on loan from Augsburg last season, but he's now joined Vancouver permanently. So that's a bit of a painful painful one for them. On on a more positive note, Andre Gomez has has been signed in a, in a club record deal from uh, Milanarios. He'll probably start on the left side for RSL this season. And it would be helpful if he could chip in with a good number of goals and, and assists. Uh, Brian Vera is another Colombian who's joined RSL and he'll likely be the starting left back. So RSL have a whole new left season, a whole new left side for this season. And I think that has been a focus 
for them in the offseason is, is rebuilding that up. Uh, Pablo Mastroeni is still in charge as RSL head coach. He is obviously an MLS stalwart at, at, at this point, both as a player and as a manager. He's He's been around the block a good few times, and this is his second full season as RSL boss. Uh, Mastroeni, he's, he's earned a reputation, I think it's fair to say, for squeezing the most out of a fairly limited squad when you compare the quality that RSL have compared to other teams uh, around them in the West. It was a 4-4-2 in most matches for them last season. Um, and this is a team that really revels in its identity as a, a grit and grind team. So I, I found that that phrase being used by a, two or three RSL players last season. I don't know if it's something that Mastroeni said in the dressing room and it's kind of been parroted, but some teams kind of take offence if, or, or some teams' fans take offence if you label their team kind of uh, hard-working, limited technically, but actually RSL, they, they seem to, as I say, they revel in that. They've got a good work ethic, they, they compete, and I think Mastroeni deserves a, a lot of credit for that, even if it's not always the, the prettiest approach. Um, Damir Krelich is, is, is still in this team, um, so 2022 was a, a season to forget for him. He made just five appearances due to recovering from back surgery, but the season before, he scored 16 goals and registered nine assists. So for RSL, who maybe don't have all that many attacking difference makers, that, that could be significant if they can get him back to his best and contributing again. Uh, Jefferson Savarino is another one of those attacking difference makers. Last year was a good one for him. He, he finished on 12 goal involvements for the season. He'll play on the, the right side of the attack, uh, and it'll be the newbie Gomez, as I mentioned, on, on the left side um, for RSL. And I think if they if RSL can get that kind of front three all contributing, that, that could be the thing that really raises their ceiling. As a team, uh, Justin Glad and Marcelo Silva, they'll likely be the centre-back pairing again this season. Zach McMath is back as first-choice goalkeeper. Pablo Ruiz and Ojeda, the midfield partnership. And and a lot of Mashwini's setup is about maintaining the, the structure that has worked for them in the last two seasons, so I don't think there will be much deviation. It's sort of difficult to predict where RSL might finish this season because it it does sort of... And look, I don't, I don't watch RSL... They're not one of the teams that I, uh, mainly because Sky Sports the last few, couple of seasons haven't really shown much, many RSL games. I'll now be able to watch all the games that I want. I'll have the selection of all the games that I want with Apple TV. So maybe I'll watch a little bit more of RSL this season. But they're not a team that I've watched a, a great deal of. But it seems like Mashwini has maximised what he had in 2021 and 2022. So it would kind of only take a minor drop off for them to fall away from playoff contention, given that they've needed, you know, decision day wins or decision day results to, to get over the line and I can't help but shake the feeling that that might happen this season because as I say they're maximizing that talent it requires them to do that season after season to just kind of keep their head above water but RSL at this point I think it's fair to say that they, they, they will compete they've got a good track record of that and they will be awkward opponents again. And Graham, uh, since you do get to watch them who is the player that will make you most inclined to tune in just to see what they're doing? Um, I guess Jefferson Savarino, uh, looking at the game tape, was someone that can that can make something happen. I mean, I'm always going to gravitate towards an, an attacking player, but as I say, that that kind of front line of uh, Krylich and, and, and Gomez and Savarino, there's potential there for them as, as a trio, or maybe if it's a four, if, if you factor in uh, Misovsky as, as, as well. So, yeah, those are the players. If, if RSL are able to kind of 
create that defensive block where they're they're sitting deep and and that kind of remains solid and then they find a few individual difference makers further up the pitch then this is a team that could that could do well and could put on some could produce some entertaining soccer i'm just i'm just not fully sold on kind of their how high their ceiling is all right that's rsl uh thank you graham for that uh joe we go to san jose uh is that for some reason I have a, I have this like idea in my mind that that is a team that you have like a soft spot in your heart for similar to like how I feel like you you kind of got some love for Eric Williamson for some reason I equate you with San Jose am I incorrect to do so that would be incorrect up until literally this moment in time Taylor Rockwell because <laughs> I, I never really had any love for them in the past I never really had any love for them under Matias Almeida and now I'm I'm kind of stoked about this team and, and about what they could do not just this season but over the next few years. So I finally get to talk about a team on the show that I like and that I'm excited about. Last year was bad for the Quakes. They were last in the West. Shots fired at many other teams. Yeah, and also myself because I'm the one who did the assignments for these. So just bang up job for me on that one. Um, Last in the West on 35 points last year. They were awful. Really, really bad team. Mateus Almeida left the team in April after the season started. That whole saga was was truly a joke from San Jose. They didn't want to buy him out, Almeida. They they, They didn't make any real moves. And so they just kind of let Almeida make a fool of himself and, and the club mostly by you know, starting altercations with fans and by not doing club and, and league mandated stuff. I mean, just it was absurd. It was absolutely absurd. Finally, he left the club. An interim coach was left to stabilize things. It was, it was essentially a wasted season from a competitive standpoint. But now Lucha Gonzalez is here. And that's a big reason why I'm excited about this. He is one of their most notable, probably the most notable roster and team moves of the the offseason really it was done midway through last season it was announced that Gonzalez would take over after the after the World Cup where he was an assistant with Greg Berhalter before that he was uh, the manager of FC Dallas before that he was the academy director of FC Dallas so the youth ties and his ability to develop talent is is very highly regarded around American soccer and I would bet around the world really or at least around larger parts of the world than just the United States Luigi's here I think he's going to give them something of an identity he was fired from Dallas in, in I think, 2021. But, I mean, they, they weren't spending money on the club. They weren't giving him, really, resources. They didn't nail their signings. It was, it was a tough hand. Not that Gonzalez did everything perfectly in that job, but it was, it was a tough thing in a lot of different ways. Now he's in San Jose. In terms of other roster moves, Marcus Lopez is out at left-back Peruvian International, got sold over to Europe. Francisco Calvo is gone. Um, down goes one of the most entertaining players MLS has ever seen. Uh, we will all mourn that change. A few other fringe depth and occasional starter pieces are, are gone now. Incoming moves, Carlos Guerrezo is in as a DP from Augsburg. A strong signing there. I think he's going to make their midfield a lot better as that number six. Daniel from Internacional as a, as a goalkeeper from in Brazil. They spent a lot on him. I think he's a TAM signing, which you don't see a lot, and you also don't always see a bunch of international goalkeepers, but the numbers look really good from what I've seen on him. And if, if they are as good as they look, then maybe this is worth it. I, I, I'm not quite sure that, that it's going to be there, but I, I don't know for a fact on that one yet. They traded for Jonathan Mensa, which we mentioned yesterday, after an injury to Nathan, who was sent, penciled in to be one of their starting center backs this year. He'll miss, I think, his second straight season, basically, with injury, which is just absolutely brutal. But Mensa's a, a solid move from them. They've made a couple others as well, but Lucci really is, I think, the most notable one here. In terms of, of their style of play as a team... I think we're going to see them try to control the ball. It's going to be a back four for the most part. Uh, Gonzalez played more of a 4-2-3-1 with Dallas, but then you know went to coach under Greg Berhalter with the national team where it was much more of a 4-3-3. The press is a different shape. The, the possession structure is a little bit different. I, I kind of lean towards 
Lucci now liking the 4-3-3 more than the 4-2-3-1. The challenge is that their roster doesn't fit that shape all that well. Maybe he's got some tricks up his sleeve that I don't know about yet. But either way, they're going to try to control the ball. I think we'll see a decent amount of pressing from them. They should be fun to watch. And maybe not good yet, but they should be fun. Key players, Jeremy Obobese scored a bunch of goals last year, was really good for them. Carlos Guerrezo, I mentioned already. Uh, Jamiro Montero is, is the 10 that I think makes sense in the 4 2 3 one or he could play as a number eight if he's really dialed in defensively, one of those free eights in a 4-3-3. Cade Cowell uh, had a really good January camp. That's not something to read too much into, but you know this could be the year of Cade Cowell. I think he's going to be a starter for them on the left. And then Christian Espinosa on the right. It's a, it's a team with some real talent. I'm not sold on the defensive side. The goalkeeper is still a question mark for me, although I think that could turn out really well. I feel like there's still maybe two transfer windows away and another year of Lucci working with the academy to bring up players like uh, Nico Sekiris and Cruz Medina. I-, I think they're still going to need time, but I think this team's going to be very respectable this year. I have them down as eighth in the West. They could be a lot lower, or honestly, they, they could be a little bit higher. Improvement overall from last year. I would be shocked if they're not better team this year than they were last year. And, and maybe most importantly, given how deep of a hole they were in before, I think this team will have a good trajectory heading into 2024 to the point where they could reasonably try to maybe compete for something in the Western Conference. So does that mean we need to get you a shirt that says, like, Joe Hart SJ? Do we need to show your loyalty that publicly? Maybe, maybe, Graham, what did we land on San Jose's kits? Good, bad? They're, they're like, good-ish, oh, right? Yeah, okay. I'll yeah, just take good I'll, kits this year. I'll just take that instead of the iHeart New York knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. That works. That works. This is offsetting all the damage I did last year, so I upset a lot of San Jose fans this time last year by saying they were going to be bad, and that became a whole Twitter thing. So, uh, Joe, you're getting us back, and you're getting TSS back in the good books. Just to be clear, Graham was right. Yeah, so I was I don't, say. I'm not exactly sure what people were angry about, um, but that was pretty clear from the jump. So, good job, Graham. Uh, since I'm good job, Graham for sure. Uh, s- since I missed the Jersey conversation, where were you, Graham, on the Seattle kit? So. Joe had the strongest views on the Seattle kit, uh-huh. didn't you, Joe? Thumbs down from Mr. Lowry. For Bad. for which of the multiple reasons? It's not it's not a Sounders <laughs> color. I, I right? feel like they're just doing celebrity knockoffs all the time. I mean, people can listen to this on the Patreon. I feel like we don't want to double dip too much in this particular case, but yeah, not a huge fan. Not a huge fan. Who who is the celebrity? I forget. It's uh, Bruce Lee, which is cool. Okay, but yeah. I mean, you just did a celebrity thing. I don't know. Feels yeah. Feels redundant yeah. to me. Uh, also, uh, strange to me that they have Providence on their shirts uh, because, you know, Providence Park, uh, uh, Portland, that felt like an odd thing. Uh, then I did some reading and it turns out that both Providence Park and uh, Providence Sweden, I believe it is, uh, are the same sponsor. It's a Catholic-based charity, which has also made some Seattle fans frustrated. They have a checkered history providing medical treatments for Seattle's transgender community and for patients seeking abortion services. So some frustration, some protest about that being the kit sponsor. I did see at space underscore Lennon on Twitter uh, tweet, good news, Sounders fans. It comes off super easy. I set my iron to silk and high steam and literally just rubbed it off with the iron. It took under 10 minutes. So if you don't like the kit and you want to customize, you can remove the shirt sponsor that way if you are so inclined. Uh, so that is my coverage of Seattle's kit. Let's talk about Seattle themselves. Uh, they were 11th in the Western Conference last season. Not a very good season for them. 12 wins, 17 losses, 5 draws. 17 losses, a lot for this Sounders team. Uh, 47 goals for, 46 against. But this really was a team that I thought was like, they were one of those, like, I don't understand how they don't just win MLS Cup at, at a canter uh, sort of teams when I did the, when we did the previews last year. 
That was not correct. The CONCACAF Champions League did a number on them uh, with injuries and fatigue, uh, and they did not have a good end of the season really across the board. Garth Lagerway, uh, their longtime GM, has gone to Atlanta. Craig Weibel steps in. By all accounts, it is basically exactly what you would expect of the Sounders, which is to say a logical appointment for a person with experience who already had some familiarity, and really they've just kind of continued on as they have been. Not a huge amount of change for them. Will Bruin uh, departs after six seasons. He's largely been a backup to Raul Ruiz Diaz. Uh, Jimmy Bedranda leaves for Columbus. Alfonso Ocampo-Chavez goes on a free to Austin. He was one that I had high expectations for many years ago. I still do. I think he's still pretty young, but this is when he was like 16 and seemed like he was the next big thing. Maybe he will be in Austin. Uh, in terms of arrivals, they bring in a bear from NYCFC, basically as a backup to Raul Ruiz Diaz, and I think that is an upgrade. No disrespect to Will Bruin, but Eber, uh, I, I think, is a very overqualified backup striker, and I think he will do the job when he needs to come on as a sub or when he needs to deputize in Ruiz Diaz's absence. I think he's carrying an injury right now, so we might see Eber sooner rather than later. Um, but other than that, it's a very similar Seattle team to the one we've seen in the past. Uh, if we're going with the kind of 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, whatever you want to go with, uh, Nuhu, uh, Yamar, and Alex Roldan. Uh, Reagan would be the new one. Uh, I forget his first name. Jackson I apologize. Reagan. Thank you, Jackson Reagan. Ronald. Uh, Ronald Reagan, that's the one. Uh, Jackson Reagan, no, he, he's quite good. Uh, he is possibly going to be their their other starting center back, uh, Javier Araga, uh, Ariaga could still be in there, uh, but it seems like in the preseason it's been Reagan and Yamar uh, with Alex Roldan at right back, as I said, and then Albert Rusnak, Jao Paulo, uh, Jao Paulo back from injury. Uh, they'll be your kind of midfield anchors, Nico Lodero ahead of them, Jordan Morris on one side, Christian Roldan on the other, Raul Ruiz Diaz up top, as long as he's fit to go. And a wrinkle from their preseason uh, would be that they – kind of shifted to a 3-2-2-3 in possession. That's with Nuhu staying home, Christian Roldan tucking inside, Alex Roldan pushing up. Um, Matt Doyle made the point, though, that this leaves Jordan Morris. This is where the LA Galaxy idea came in, Joe. Basically, it leaves Jordan Morris in a lot of 1v1 situations, which aren't his best. He's not really good at kind of standing people up and then beating them, except for with pace. Uh, His productivity dipped last season, so there are some concerns about what he will be able to bring. Uh, but I, I, again, it feels a little bit to me like when the concern around Philly was that they didn't have a backup number nine. With this Seattle team, it feels like there's so much talent and plenty of depth in the midfield and in the attack that I think this will be a bounce-back season, especially with fewer distractions to occupy their time and give them potential injuries or fatigue. So I think a bounce-back season for Seattle, maybe not challenging for the supporter shield or the top two spots or anything like that, but I have them comfortably in the playoffs. Uh, Graham, Joe, anything to add on the Sounders this season? The one thing I'll add, and and I'm risking the wrath of a bunch of fans, but I already wrote this, so I I guess I don't really care at this point. I think they're going to be better than they were last year. I think it would be pretty hard not to. My one of my theories, one of my like conspiracy brain theories coming into this year is that the Seattle Sounders aren't really special anymore. I wrote this in a piece that I, I titled like the Haters Guide to MLS, basically why your favorite team won't win MLS Cup this year. So that's up on backfield right now. But the idea is I'm looking to poke holes in every single team, right? So I, I don't fully believe this, but but really part of me does genuinely believe this. The Sounders were special because their roster was special, right? The pieces were really good. They continued to find players that were better than seemingly what other teams could find while still spending a decent amount of money, but not a crazy amount of money. I think other teams largely have caught up right now to the point where a core of an aging, 
Raul Rui Diaz, Nicola Dero, and, and Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan doesn't feel particularly notable at this point. I, they're still good players, and Seattle should still be good this season. They have talent. They have depth, some coming up through the youth academy. But I, I just I look at this team, and if you remove their soundersness, like all the lore yeah. that comes with being a sounder and, and being in that club, which is impossible to fully remove, but I think last year kind of chipped away at it, right? I think last year did that after the CONCACAF Champions League, which was massive. But for the rest of the year, they, they weren't special. They were injured. They looked old. I am concerned, and I'm concerned about my Twitter mentions mostly, but I'm concerned that this is like sort of the new normal for Seattle, or at least they're going to split the difference somewhere between like best in the West and 11th, and they just kind of end up in this mediocre zone in the Western Conference. So that would be, uh, Joe, what's the Twitter handle real quick? Yeah, at Graham Ruffin, G-R-A-H-A-M. <laughs> yep, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> it's, yep, it's too yep, easy. Yep, yep. Uh, but no, but but I hear you, Joe, because it, it's similar. Oh, this will get me uh, some love. It's very similar to Portland, Seattle, and Portland. Basically, nice, the same good teams. work. There you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, just in terms of having a lot of like veterans who have been there, but maybe not having like the invigoration of youth that will help them kind of kick onto that next level. It kind of feeds into your idea, Joe, that maybe the West isn't quite as strong as the East. Uh, Seattle fans, again, at Graham Ruffin for your thoughts on that one. <laughs> uh, speaking of at Graham Ruffin, Graham, I believe it's your turn to tell us about Sporting KC. Indeed. So Sporting KC 2022 for them was a, was a pretty dismal year. They finished uh, third in the Western Conference in 2021 and first in 2020. But they started really poorly in 2022 and, and really they were never able to recover. They ultimately finished 12th which um, is below what you would expect of, of this franchise and this team. Some of that could be blamed on, a, on an, injuries, an, an injury crisis, excuse me, enduring uh, a speaking crisis here, but that robbed KC of a number of key players for a good period of the season. But it, it, as I say, it was still well below par for Sporting KC. They actually finished the, the regular season strongly, just two defeats from their last 10 games, which kind of suggests that 2023 might be better. Um, but yeah, Vermees and his players just kind of need to forget what happened last year. The good news for Sporting Kansas City is that they got a head start on a lot of the rebuilding work that clearly needed to happen. Last year, uh, they completed a deal to sign Nemanja Radoya in October, and he could be a really important player for them. They clearly needed a, a, a new midfield anchor last season. He's someone that I watched a lot for, for Celta Vigo, less so for Levante, where he's been the last few seasons. He is certainly proven at the Liga level. At his best, he really was one of the best in, in his defensive midfield position in Spain. He left Celta Vigo, I think that was 2018, 2019, potentially. Um, but he left Celta Vigo essentially because he thought he was going to get a Premier League move. Unfortunately for him those offers did not come his way and he ended up staying in La Liga with Levante, which was a little bit embarrassing for him and he never really recovered from that point. But he's still a very good player. He's still only 30 years old and that, for me, is an, an impressive new addition who will give KC a, a new anchor to build around because they have the attacking talent. Um, they've also signed German left-back Tim Leibold. So when you add those two additions to the to the summer additions that Sporting KC made last year with William Magada and Eric Tommy the, the, coming in from Germany, they settled quickly. I think this this squad looks stronger than it has done in a while. Uri Rossell left the club after just one season. Ismat Mer uh, Mirin, he is gone uh, after a couple seasons. But beyond that, KC 
haven't really lost all that much. As I say, they a lot of their rebuilding work started last summer, so in theory they should have a head start on, on in that regard. Um, for the first time in a while, P- Peter Vermees has something of of a of a point to prove. So nobody can deny what what he's achieved at Sporting KC, but last season was very bad, and so another bad season would raise raise questions about. Whether he's part of the problem, uh, he likes to play a four-three-three formation. SKC they 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 they, pl- they press high, they play with a lot of intensity. He likes to have a numerical advantage in in the middle of the pitch and and build up play and and when playing out from the back. And Radoya will be important in in that in that regard. Um, the second half of last season focused on building out a new attack, and that looked very dangerous when that all came together and when Agada arrived in the summer. So I think there's there's a chance um, that. KC are, aren't they're, they're turbocharged this season I think there's a lot of energy there's a lot of drive in that attacking third and Agada and, and, and Tommy have made a big difference in that regard I also of course have to mention because it's the law I have to mention the Scottish player in this squad so yeah, Johnny Russell he is a, a still a very, very important player for Vermees um, last season even when SKC weren't up too much uh, he still managed to reach double figures for goals he has been maybe the embodiment of what Peter Vermes wants this team to be for a long time. You know, a lot of directness, speed, the threat he has in the attacking third. And, I've, and then in terms of a teammate, I've already mentioned him, Willie Magada. He's, he scored eight goals in 12 games after joining in the summer. Um, and, and when you look at SKCs, he gives what he does is he's very threatening as a player in his own right, as an attacker in his own right, as those numbers suggest, but his effectiveness on the defensive side of the ball as well. And when you look at SKC, SKC's uh, results down the stretch, you could see a, a gradual but steady improvement in, the, in their defensive record as well. And I think that is linked to how they became more difficult to play through and how the, the, play through and how the, the tone was set in the attack. Um, in terms of the, the personal and defence, it'll likely be Fontas and, and uh, Volodar at, at centre-back. I think that's maybe the, the the weakest part of the team. I saw some articles basically saying that they have struggled to replace uh, Ekopara since uh, since 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 he left a good while ago. But nonetheless, that has been a, a lingering issue for them. But they do have experience through the likes of Graham Zusi and Russell, and then players in their peak like Saloy and Radoya, and then a little bit of youth from Agada, who I think is maybe twenty three years old. So I quite like the mix that they have there, and I think it's reasonable to assume that twenty twenty three will be a will be much better for KC than than 2022 which is a low bar admittedly given that they finished 12th but yeah they've SKC when you look through their record under Vermees they've had some fallow years before they finished 11th in 2019 but they don't tend to have two bad seasons in a row Um, their their attack looks strong the wide forwards are proven they've strengthened midfield which was a big thing Um, and the way that they they finished last season I think suggested they will be a, a serious force again in the Western Conference. So Graham thinks they will be a serious force. He thinks they will be much improved. So too does Joe. Joe, you had them, what, third in the Western Conference? I think in the uh, yep. the MLS season previews. Tom Bogart has them 11th in the West, Joe. Uh, my question for you, what's Tom's problem? It's, I mean, it's okay. Tom can be wrong once in a while. The stash is, the stash is great. I love Tom. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're pretty far apart on this particular one. Unacceptable. Unacceptable from, from Tom. <laughs> That's what I have to say. Uh, Joe, where should we head next? Let's hit St. Louis, if my order is correct and my ability to run through the alphabet is correct. Yes, sir. St. Louis, how last year went? Well, it it didn't, right? They didn't exist last year. This is the newest team in Major League Soccer. There's a lot of excitement in and around St. Louis for this team joining Major League Soccer, which is all very much deserved. 
They built a beautiful stadium called City Park in St. Louis. It looks absolutely gorgeous. They did a phenomenal job. Bradley Carnell was announced as their head coach in 2022, so I guess that counts as as last year because it was last year. A lot of big things for them. A lot of questions this year. A lot of big questions for them coming into the season as well. Graham doesn't love their kits, so that doesn't really bode well for them, neither the home nor the away. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a, a massive problem for them. I don't think that bodes well in <laughs> any way. In terms of roster moves, literally everyone is new. Everyone is new coming into this team. A couple of homegrowns, a couple of DPs, who I've talked about at least twice on the show before, but I'll do it once more very quickly. Klaus, best name in Major League Soccer. I will not hear anything to the contrary. Brazilian, number nine, striker from Hoffenheim. Just elite name. I'm not convinced he's an elite player, but I'll happily eat my words on that later on. Uh, Edvard Lowen, uh, Lowen, probably Lowen, German central midfielder from the Bundesliga, kind of a, a fringe Bundesliga guy, looks like a, a fine player. And then Roman Berkey is probably the biggest name in this team, former Borussia Dortmund goalkeeper. Uh, he wasn't very good towards the end of his Bundesliga career, so we'll see how that goes for him in St. Louis. I mean, MLS is worse than the Bundesliga, so hopefully that, that does bode well for him. And then they've got a few players that I would like to call the Ghost of Big Soccer Forums category of players. <laughs> Tim Parker. Tim Parker, who got a cap for the U.S. right before the 2018 World Cup that they weren't at. Nico Joachini and Indiana Vasilev. I actually oh, kind of like oh, Joachini oh. as a... Yeah. I got very excited. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, there's uh, Indiana Vasilev, also an elite MLS name, just not as good as Klaus. I'm sorry. Um, I-, I like Joachini. I think he can be a good depth piece, and that's what he's going to be in St. Louis, so that could work out well. Same with Vasilev. I like his game. I think you know this, this could be a good season for him. Tim Parker, I think, is going to function well enough in Bradley Carnell's Red Bull system. So Bradley Carnell is the manager. Former New York Red Bull's assistant is kind of... Uh, connected to this Red Bull style and has been for a while. I think him and and Lutz Fahnenstiel, who's really the guy creating this roster, which if you know anything about Lutz Fahnenstiel, tells you that it's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, they, they've known each other for a while, I think. Maybe they cross paths at some point in, in playing careers. But it's likely to be a front foot, aggressive, heavy metal pressing style out of a back four, probably a 4-2-3-1. And, you know, that, the, the big question for them with regards to their style and really with regards to their season is... Is there enough talent or can the press make up for the lack of top tier talent? I, I think the first question's already been answered. I don't think there's enough talent in this team. They signed two DPs, not three. Both DPs have, have mediocre resumes at, at best, if you want to read it charitably. Uh, there, there's just not a lot of proven game changing soccer players in this team. So the question is then, like, can we do a Red Bulls? Can we do a Philly where we don't have players that really pop in? In most ways, but they come together and they work really well as a team. And the press is Jurgen Klopp style. Well, Jurgen Klopp of like eight years ago style is their primary playmaker. And, and it's going to have to be if St. Louis want to compete. I, I, I've i been on St. Louis podcasts. I've talked about it on this show. It, it's going to have to be like prove it before I believe it for St. Louis. I just I don't see it with this team. I love everything they built around the club. The fact that they've already signed two homegrowns, which I mentioned earlier, is great. And St. Louis could really be a hotbed for talent. I want to like this team. I want them to do well. I just don't think the first team has enough quality right now, and I'm not convinced that they're going to be all that good. I have them last in the West. They could be better than that. They could be like a fringe playoff team. But it seems to me that this is like a soft launch for what they hope St. Louis will be and what the atmosphere around the club will be in like two or three years from now. I really enjoyed Lutz uh, saying... You know, like we don't really believe in, in, in DPs. We believe like all players should work and play hard. And then the consensus seems to be like, that's great. 
you probably need some DPs though. You probably yeah. need some more quality there. So you yeah. aren't Roman Burkey. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. not a DP, but it's also just yeah, not not great. Not great. It's still so strange to me the way they've gone about doing this. Having having this sort of like uh like St. Louis 2 team that Roman Burkey's been playing for like five times over the years. It's it, it's an odd one. It, Joe, I, I share your trepidation, though the stadium is lovely. Yeah, uh, where were where are we again on the Purina kits, Joe? Uh, yeah, Graham's thumbs down. I, I think the home one is is fine. It's not great, but it's fine. And the away kit is is really terrible. It's really bad. Fair, fair. All Do right. You know what also annoys me is in a lot of the branding of St. Louis City, the city is capitalized. Yep. That's, no. Yep. Enough. Stop that. Just normal. I saw. Line, please. I saw a tweet that was like any <laughs> any. Media member who doesn't, you know, who's publishing something not for MLSsoccer.com that uses city in all caps, like, should be jailed or something like that. And I think that's probably <laughs> true. I don't know. I mean, we can't. I, I have yet to do it. I will never do it. Uh, we, we can't, guys. We can't be spelling city in all caps. It's just not going to happen. Uh, well, we will not be spelling Vancouver in all caps either. They are our final team, I do believe, uh, of this this preview extravaganza. Gentlemen, we're, we're, we're close. We'll see what happens. Uh, Vancouver, ninth in the West. Uh, their offense was canceled out by a poor defense. They did qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League by winning the Canadian Championship, so there is that. Joe, quickly to you, before I get into Vancouver, I, I might need you to temper my, my hype a little bit. Sergio Cordova is one of the players I didn't watch enough of to feel fully confident in my take. He takes up their final DP slot. Uh, 25-year-old Venezuelan forward arrives from Augsburg. He was on loan at RSL last year. Nine goals and 33 appearances. That doesn't really like set the world alight in my mind, but there seems to be a lot of hype behind this, a lot of enthusiasm for this move. Are you enthusiastic about Cordova to Vancouver? Yeah, I was going to say enthusiasm from people not who are not me. Um, I, I think it's like a, a fine move. Mm-hmm. I've never been impressed by him. I don't think he was very good in the Bundesliga. I thought he was fine with RSL last year. Vancouver seemed to me to be pretty, like, like a peer to RSL in the Western Conference in terms of their level. I feel like his ceiling is probably 10 goals this year. Okay. So that does help me, help bring me back down to earth because I got to be honest, I'm real hyped about Vancouver this season. I, I think they could be a surprise team. I think I'm in the minority on that one. It seems like most predictions have them like 11th or 13th or something like that. I think they've made very smart signings. Uh, I think they've also gotten rid of some players who won't be that detrimental to what they're doing. Uh, Lucas Cavallini, DP Ford, Canada International, his contract expired. Uh, but 18 goals in three seasons, I don't think he'll be that missed. Uh, Jake Nowinski and Marcus uh, Godinho both left on free transfers, so that's two right backs gone. 25-year-old center back Derek Cornelius goes to Malmo. Uh, it's just on Ricketts and Florian Jungworth retire. Multiple others allowed to leave on free agency or are without a club after being released. Means it's a it's a pretty new-look Vancouver team, and I think it's a better Vancouver team, Joe. I think they're quite good. Uh, so we talked about Cordova. I think he will be their starting striker. They have been in a 4-3-2-1 slash a 4-3-1-2 uh, in preseason for the most part. The major... Uh, I don't even want to do this. I was going to burn it by talking about how Ryan Gold isn't that good just to make Graham annoyed, but he is very good, so I won't do that. And is, is it Vite, Joe? Is yep. that how I'm supposed to pronounce yep, his name? Pedro Thank Vite. you, Pedro Vite. Uh, that was the last thing I didn't check was the proper pronunciation. But I think Vite and Ryan Gold will be a great combination, and I think that they work really well in that partnership. Uh, I think there's 
a lot of enthusiasm there. I think the signing of Matias Laborda, the 23-year-old Uruguayan center back, who was a free agent, contract with Nacional in Uruguay expired, but he won three titles there. He made over 100 appearances. He is very young. And if I'm being very generous uh, in watching him, he reminds me of uh, Lissandro Martinez, uh, now of Manchester United. Certainly not in the like overall quality, but he is a tenacious center back. He wins so many things in the air, but he also does a really good job of controlling under possession when there's long balls, long clearances, watching him kind of bring it down while, while grappling with another player, like bring it down with his chest and then recycling possession. I think he's good in that way. He's a scrappy defender. I think he makes their defense better. I am so hyped about uh, Yohai uh, Takaoka, 26-year-old Japanese goalkeeper, fresh off a best 11 season in the J-League. He won the title with Yokohama F. Marinos. Uh, and then bailed. Apparently, he told them he wouldn't leave for anybody else but Europe. And then he came to Major League Soccer. Uh, and I think Vancouver fans should be pretty stoked about that. From watching him, he is crazy calm on the ball. He's really good with his feet. Um, and not just in his long ball distribution. I saw on multiple occasions he would hit... Uh, it was a preseason friendly, against, I guess, against Roma. I saw him hit two different like 50-yard passes on the ground that split two Roma players and went into the feet of, of one of his teammates. He's just really good in possession, but then also comes off his line well, made two big foot saves in that game. I think he's going to be very, very good. Uh, I think he could be a difference maker for them. So I think there have been some smart signings. And then a weird one that I am way too hyped on, uh, my... my not very specific prediction, but a prediction. Uh, Jean-Claude Gondo, JC Gondo, uh, was a super draft selection. I think he will be the new uh, Julian Gressel. Uh, uh, Vancouver traded their number 13 pick and $225,000 in GAM to move up to select him. He played as the number 10 for UNC Greensboro. I think they're going to use him as the number 8. Uh, watched him versus Indiana in the College Cup. Grain of salt there because it's college soccer and you know MLS is obviously a pretty big step up. But he has that... I can't really explain it other than like he dribbles while gliding. So it's like his feet are never that far off the ground, but he's big enough and strong enough that he can hold off players. So multiple times I saw him just sort of stride through the midfield with the ball and had defenders kind of bouncing off of him. Even bigger guys kind of trying to body him. He kind of rides those challenges. So I see why they're going to try to use him as a number eight. I think he could be a good depth option. He'll be playing on the same team as Julian Gressel, so he can learn a thing or two from him there. I think, again, the Gauld-Vite uh, partnership in the attack is going to be difficult. I think Gauld will move around and find space to kind of frustrate opponents. Vite can pull the strings and play in behind. I, I think this Vancouver team will be better than last season. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's Supporter Shield better, but I, I have Vancouver making the playoffs. Uh, so there you go uh, to conventional wisdom, which I think pretty much universally says they will not. Yeah, you had me at gold. <laughs> <laughs> Graham's on board, and, and Taylor, I, I love a lot of what you said there. I haven't had the chance to dig in fully into the film on the new goalkeeper or the new center back, and it sounds like you did. You know, I'm excited about both of those players. The goalkeeper signing is 100% the big one because goalkeeping was atrocious for them last year. It, it was, it was, it was so so bad, and they needed a new starting goalkeeper. It sounds like they have one. I mean, that's the difference between making the playoffs and missing the playoffs. That can be the difference between. Uh, you know, finishing three places higher or lower in the standings. There's real talent here. If if Cordova can be a little bit better than I think he will be, then yeah, I mean, this team could be cooking. Also, to peel back the curtain for listeners, Taylor sent a Slack message last night that said something to the effect of, I'm so hyped about the Vancouver Whitecaps. And I had no idea if he was being sarcastic or not. I could not tell at all. I'm overjoyed <laughs> to hear that it's real. Um, oh, yeah. Taylor, great stuff. Really good stuff. 
That said, I don't really know that much about the rest of their defense, which does seem like it was a pretty sizable problem last year. Uh, but I'm psyched. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked on Laborda. I like Takaoka a lot. Uh, but Joe, it sounds like the rest of it is sort of the same. So may- maybe I shouldn't be quite so hyped. Uh, you had them 10th. Uh, who, who, I think the highest anybody had them is eighth. I- I'm going to say they're seventh in the West. Yeah. In face experts. Why not? I think they, they can totally hit seventh. They could be right in that zone. They could be a little bit worse, but I mean, yeah, that feels totally in play. I like that I'm saying that as though it's some like big, bold prediction when in reality they were ninth last season, and I think it's like a four-point difference between ninth and fifth or something like that. So, Vanny Sartini, yeah. the they're ball gonna, is in your court. They're going to be great. They're going to be mid-table in the West. <laughs> ah, perfect. Which Joe said wasn't that good earlier. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well... I think we have done a good job, a better than mid-table job, of pre- previewing both conferences uh, on these episodes. Gentlemen, I thank you both. Joe Lowry, thank you for bringing the knowledge and the knowledge about Aurora Borealis. Right back at you, Taylor. <laughs> uh, and Graham, thank you for always being there to sort of back me up when I have thoughts on kits one way or the other. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. This has been a joy. It has also been long. I'm half expecting my life now to be the end of Castaway, where I now meet up with my wife and she has another family. Uh, it's been a, a, a long, it's been 19 hours that we've been recording these MLS previews, but it's been fun. I do feel like I could see Graham sort of making friends with an inanimate soccer ball and they could be uh, Wilson buddies. So uh, while Graham <laughs> talks to his soccer ball and Joe, I'm hoping, still is able to talk to his family, I will just say, listeners, thank you so much for spending roughly three hours with us over the the course of these two previews. Hopefully you enjoy your MLS action this weekend. Uh, I think the big thing this week will be uh, more MLS-centric. So we're not done talking to MLS just yet, but tomorrow we're back to talking Champions League because there are some things to talk about. But until then, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.